This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that strives to know at least a little bit more history every day. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the origins of the jukebox, a vital part of music history that's just as fun to look at as it is to listen to. The day was November 23rd, 1889. An early forerunner of the modern jukebox was installed for public use at the Palais Royale Saloon in San Francisco, California. The name jukebox wouldn't be applied for another 30 years or so. When it was invented, it was known as a nickel-in-the-slot player. It may have looked drastically different from what we now know as a jukebox, but its purpose was about the same. It allowed people to listen to music in a bar or restaurant without the added cost of live performers. The first nickel-in-the-slot was invented by Louis Glass and William Arnold, who both worked at the Pacific Phonograph Company in San Francisco. They realized that although the phonograph had captured the public's attention since its creation in 1877, the machine was still too expensive for most people to afford. So, in an effort to bring music to the people, and to make some money in the process, Glass and Arnold decided to rig up a coin-operated device that would allow people to listen to a recording without having to buy their own. To be fair, other inventors were working on similar machines around that same time, but Glass and Arnold were the first to unveil a functioning version to the public. The first model they built consisted of an Edison Class M electric phonograph housed inside an oak cabinet with a coin slot mechanism attached. So far, so jukebox. But here's where things start to differ. The first machine had no speakers or amplifiers. Instead, it had four tube-like listening devices connected to the phonograph. It's a little hard to describe, but if you picture four stethoscopes attached to a big wooden box, you're not far off. Each of those four tubes functioned independently, meaning that up to four people could listen to the same song simultaneously, provided that each of them paid their own nickel. Also, for any germaphobes out there, you'll be thrilled to know that patrons were supplied with towels so they could wipe off the ends of their tubes before or after each listen. Another difference from later jukeboxes was the amount of songs on offer. Modern jukeboxes have many, while the first jukebox had one. The single song was housed on a wax cylinder inside the cabinet, which could be swapped out periodically to give customers something new to listen to. Glass and Arnold got permission to display their first machine in a saloon just two blocks away from their offices at the phonograph company. Unfortunately, there's no record of which song was played first, so we'll have to use our imaginations on that. Despite its limitations, the coin-operated phonograph took off overnight. 
Within six months, that single player had earned over $1,000, the equivalent of more than $30,000 today. And by the end of the first year, Glass and Arnold had installed another 15 machines and raked in more than $4,000. The instant success inspired countless imitators to whip up their own versions all across the country. Soon, there were entire phonograph parlors with multiple nickel-in-the-slot players so customers could listen to different songs in the same location. As the machine grew in popularity over the next decade and a half, improvements were gradually made to the initial design. The sound quality improved when disc records replaced the old phonograph cylinders and the addition of amplifiers allowed large groups to listen simultaneously without the need to hold stethoscopes to their ears. The next major innovation came in 1905, when Chicago-based inventor John Gable debuted the Automatic Entertainer, a coin-operated, disc-playing phonograph that featured 24 songs to choose from, though the disc still had to be selected manually. Thirteen years later, Another inventor, Hobart Nieblack, created a part that could change records automatically, leading to the debut of the first selective jukeboxes in the 1920s. That decade presented a challenge to automatic phonographs due to the emerging technology of radio. Record sales and jukebox usage took a dive when people realized they could hear music for free on the radio. The hard times kept on coming in the 1930s when the Great Depression left most families with little money for recreation, even just a nickel. However, once the Depression ended, jukeboxes bounced right back, more popular than ever in a country that was itching to get out and dance again. It was around this time that the automatic phonograph finally started to look like a jukebox. The big four companies in the industry were AMI, Rockola, Seberg, and Wurlitzer. These manufacturers introduced now classic jukebox features, such as flashy light-up displays and numbered and lettered buttons that were used to select specific songs. The machines now had their familiar shapes and features, but it was still a few years before they would actually be called jukeboxes. The term originated in the southern United States sometime in the late 1930s. It was based on the term juke joint, which was regional slang for a rowdy bar or dance hall with lots of loud music. The word juke comes from the Creole language and is an adjective that means wild, bad, or wicked. Once the name was set, Jukeboxes entered a golden age, with their peak popularity running from the 1940s through the mid-1960s. In fact, by 1945, 75% of all the records produced annually in the United States were put into jukeboxes. The radio shook things up again in the 1950s when the invention of the transistor introduced the world to the joys of portable music. Jukebox sales and usage began to slide from there, but they remained staple fixtures in plenty of diners, bars, and restaurants. Today, you can still find working vintage jukeboxes in many of those same locations, and new models are still produced and used as well. 
Most of the ones made in the past few decades play songs either from CDs or digital files, but they still look a lot like the ones from the 1950s, complete with domed tops, shiny chrome, candy-colored light bars, and if you're really lucky, those tubes of little bubbles that run up and down the sides. With that much to look at, it doesn't really matter which song is playing. Well, almost. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. And if you'd like to share your favorite jukebox selection, you can write to me at thisday at iheartmedia.com. My own favorite is J17. Can't get enough of that one. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.